What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. You can listen to the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Music. You can give us a uh, rating, subscription, uh, likes, whatever you want on uh, both of those platforms. Um, and you can uh, follow the Facebook page and the Twitter page as well. Um, so plenty of stuff to get to this week, everyone. Um, I do uh, also want to extend a thank you to uh, Andrew Lydon coming on the uh, first ever guest Friday last week to talk about the Patriots. That was a uh, great conversation. Hope that um, you folks enjoyed that. Um, obviously, as I mentioned on Twitter and Facebook yesterday, Nick Peranick will join uh, the show or will join uh, Guest Friday this week to talk about the Bruins. So I'm very excited to uh, talk with Nick about that. Obviously, the Bruins have been uh, really hot. So um, I will just say as a uh, disclaimer, we may be a little bit light on the Bruins today just because I want to talk with Nick as much about the Bruins as we possibly can. So, you know, it might be a little bit short when we talk about the Bruins. Still going to talk about them. Absolutely. You know, how can you not talk about them? But um, we'll have more of an in-depth conversation uh, with Nick later this week. So really looking forward to that. Obviously, everyone be on the lookout for that. Um, but without further ado, let's uh, get into the program today. Obviously, um, there's going to be a lot of football, uh, plenty of uh, Patriot stuff to talk about. You know, I know the the loss, losing the way that they did, it's never fun to, uh, you know, break down a game like that. So, you know, we're going to do it. It's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. So, um, obviously, it was uh, great having Andrew on the show last week. And, you know, it really just seemed like going into the game that it seemed like, Maybe the Patriots do make this somewhat interesting, and they made it interesting for about uh, the first drive of the game, and uh, it really was not much of a game after that. You know, Bills go down and score on their first drive. Patriots go down. Mac Jones throws an interception, um, you know, on a great play by Micah Hyde. You know, I think that you look at that interception, there's not much better Mac Jones could have done than, you know, throwing that deep ball. Um you know, perhaps could have seen that, you know, Hyde was going over there to make the play, but still it was an amazing play. So, you know, really, I think from that point on, the Patriots really were never in this game. Um, and I think, obviously, it is probably the worst loss the Patriots have had um, in a game in a very long time, you know, and I think that it's, you know, hard to be it's hard to be, you know, feeling good after a game like that. And, you know, I know the conversation that Andrew and I had on Friday was a lot about, you know, hey, whatever happens here, the Patriots have had a good season. And I still believe that, but it is hard when you lose by 30 points and you give up 47 points. And, you know, the Bills go through two games um, against the Patriots in the last couple weeks of the season without any punts. Bills score 80 points in two games. In the last two games against the Patriots, did not punt once. Um, so clearly it's a game that the quarterback really didn't have much to do with the outcome, on the Patriots' side at least. You know, sure, Mac Jones clearly did not play well. You know, threw two interceptions, got sacked a few times. You know, the sacks aren't always on the quarterback. Um 
but I think it's very obvious that he got outplayed by Josh Allen. You know, I think that, again, it's hard to expect that he would outplay a player like Josh Allen, but, you know, I think clearly you look at this game and defense was the main culprit in this game. Josh Allen and that offense did whatever they wanted. You know, 47 points, he throws five touchdowns. Bills had two rushing touchdowns. They rushed for 174 yards as a team. Josh Allen picking up 66 of those. Um, and Devin Singletary had two touchdowns. And, you know, in a game like that, in a game that the Patriots got behind so quickly, like they did in Miami, you can't really establish a run game. You know, when you fall behind two scores in a game, you know, in the first quarter, there's really not a lot you can do to, to establish the run game. And I think the score kind of just got out of hand. And the Patriots, you know, rushed the ball only 20 times in this game. You know, I think that if the Patriots were to win, they needed to run the ball at least 30 times. And I think, you know, clearly when you get behind, it's impossible to establish the run game. And I think especially when you were playing a team like Buffalo, who was firing on all cylinders, an offense that was scoring touchdowns, every single time down the field, you know, it's impossible to have a run game that controls the clock when you're trying to, you know, get back into a game. So I think as much as the offense didn't really do enough, scored 17 points, a couple turnovers, you know, I think that I'm not going to say they did as well as they could because that's not true, but I just think there's only so much that they could have done in that game. Um, and all the, well, there was a lot of conversations, you know, about, Mac Jones and his inability to play in the cold weather, you know, I thought he played pretty well in that cold weather. I mean, clearly a couple touchdowns came when the game was well over, you know, had a touchdown pass to uh, Kendrick Bourne, or did two touchdowns uh, to Kendrick Bourne. You know, the game was pretty much decided at that point. So, you know, any touchdowns that he threw, you know, kind of came when the game was kind of already decided. Um but clearly, you know, defense was a big problem for the Patriots. Um, you know, it was good that they were able to get some guys back, but Jalen Mills missed the game, and I think that that had a lot to do with why the Bills were able to have so much success um, in the passing game. Although it is kind of wild that none of their none of the Buffalo receivers really went off and had an amazing game. You know, Dawson, Dawson Knox obviously had two touchdowns, but outside of that, no one else on that team had more than five receptions, you know, which is kind of wild. Um, but, you know, credit to Josh Allen for, you know, spreading the ball around, you know, 21 receptions or, you know, 21 completions, 300 yards, you know, over 12 yards completion, five touchdowns, you know, did a really good job of spreading it out. So. You know, when we look at the matchups for the divisional round, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what Buffalo can do against Kansas City. I have a feeling that if their offense plays like this, uh, they very well could beat Kansas City. So, you know, I think in a game like this, you know, and I said this after the game, there really isn't a lot to analyze from a game like this. You know, the Patriots defense just got punked, you know, and it's a game that, you really can't feel good about really at all. Um, and I think the only hope from a game like this is it, you know, is a source of motivation. That it's a big source of motivation for Mac Jones. It's a big source of motivation for Matt Judon. It's a big 
source of motivation for J.C. Jackson, Kyle Duggar, you know, all the big-time players on defense that, you know, it's a reason for them to work harder this offseason that, you know, we're better than that. We're not going to get punked like that again. So, you know, it's, you know, again, it's it's hard to find positives in a game like this, you know. Again, there's really not a whole lot to analyze, um, but I am going to be curious to see what the emphasis is going to be in the offseason. You know, where do the Patriots try to improve that defense? You know, what are their thoughts in the middle of the field with their front seven? Because I got to be honest, the front seven kind of disappeared toward the end of the season. You know, the pass rush was not able to make it difficult for opposing quarterbacks. And I think, you know, guys like Matt Judon, guys like Dietrich Wise, you know, I think as much as I think a lot of people look at that game on Saturday and think, okay, they need better players at the linebacker position. I kind of think that they need to make some tough decisions on the defensive line. Not that they need to trade Judon. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that with some of the young guys that they have, they have to make a decision. They have to make a decision on Chase Winovich. They have to make a decision on Josh Uche. They have to make a decision on some of these young pass rushers that really haven't made much of an impact the last two years. So I think, you know, not to say that Matt Judon is blameless. You know, I think he was a big reason why the defense kind of struggled at the end of the season. But I think you need to find some more help on that front seven, someone else that can rush the passer and someone that can do it as well as Judon. I think that's going to be an interesting area. Um, that I'm going to be focused on. I know that, you know, there's a lot of conversation about players like Hightower and McCordy and Andrew, and I talked about that, you know, on Friday. What are What's the plan with those two guys? You know, I think, do the Patriots decide to move on? You know, do they decide to give those guys a more limited role than what they have? You know, I think that's going to be very interesting. Um, but I think... You know, at least in my opinion, I think that you might be okay at the safety position with how well Duggar and Phillips have played this season that, you know, losing a player like McCourty may not be such a terrible thing. You know, I think someone like Hightower, it's a little bit more complicated because, as I just said, you have some guys in that front seven, you know, whether they're linebackers or defensive ends, you know, some of the young guys they have. And you kind of don't really know what you what you have in them yet. You know, someone like Ronnie Perkins, you know, he didn't really get in in any games this year. Cameron Cameron McGrone, the linebacker they drafted from Michigan, you know, wasn't going to play really at all this season. What do they have in those two guys? You know, what do they have with Anthony Jennings, uh, the young linebacker from Alabama that was put on injured reserve um, days before the season opener? You know, I think. For the Patriots, when they make a decision on Hightower, I think that, you know, it's kind of going to depend on what their thinking is with those guys. You know, with those three players that I just mentioned, you know, Jennings, McGrone, Perkins, you know, and then Uche and Winovich. I mean, those are five guys that are kind of, you know, linebackers, defensive ends, kind of the, the rushers. Um, you know, Hightower, I think clearly in his whole career, He's been more of an inside linebacker, kind of a run stuffer. He's never really been a player that's a great coverage linebacker, you know, and maybe that's what they need to look at in the draft or in free agency. Because I think, you know, clearly Hightower's not the same player he used to be, 
But at the same time, he's not a coverage linebacker. I feel like he's never been that, you know, inside linebacker. I don't feel like that's something that is necessarily in his job description that, you know, that's not his, that's not his strength. So I think trying to look at the linebacker position and maybe evaluating it that, okay, do the Patriots need some younger blood in there from the draft? You know, do they need someone that can run sideline to sideline and be a really good coverage player? Um, but I think there, there's a lot of questions on the defense. Um, and I think that that really is kind of the big thing with this team this offseason. You know, what do they do in terms of their defense? Because, you know, clearly when you give up 47 points in a football game and you lose in a playoff game, you know, clearly there need to be some changes on that side of the ball. Um, so I'm very curious to see what's going to go on. Um, you know, kind of transitioning from the Patriots' loss on Saturday night, you know, I think going forward and thinking about, you know, the off season and thinking about what are some areas that the Patriots need to improve upon, um, you know, I think clearly when you talk about the defense, I think there needs to be some evaluation at linebacker and figure out what they're trying to do there, you know. Do they try to bring in another good edge rusher? Do they try to bring someone in in free agency? Do they try to draft someone? I'm very curious to see what that's going to look like. Um, and then a cornerback, you know, you have some decisions to make. Um, or, well, really you have one decision to make with the cornerbacks. Uh, obviously, J.C. Jackson is uh, the lone Patriot cornerback that is uh, entering free agency. And I think, for me... In my opinion, that needs to be a priority. Um, I think that, yes, J.C. Jackson is a very, very good cornerback, and I think bringing him back makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot, a lot of sense to me because if you bring him back, you're going to have Jalen Mills back. You're going to have Jonathan Jones back at full strength. You know, that gives you three really good players at that position. You know, two guys on the outside and Jonathan Jones who can play in the slot or play on the inside. So, you know, it's going to be curious to see what J.C. Jackson, you know, can get on the open market. Does he really want to return to the Patriots? Um, you know, I think that that needs to be a priority because I think, in my opinion, you let, you let Gilmore go for basically nothing because you want to re-sign J.C. Jackson. That at least was my thought process. Um, and clearly, I think he's a player that could be due for a big raise you know and do the Patriots bring him back I really would hope that they do um, you know and then clearly as I mentioned Hightower and McCourty are hitting unrestricted free agency you know and not only are those guys kind of key players in you know what they've done for your franchise you know they're also great leaders you know they're part of that big kind of leadership group that has won three Super Bowls and has had a lot of success in this kind of or not this, or like in the, the back half of the Patriots dynasty, I guess you could say, you know, and clearly they have a big spot, you know, in Patriots fans' hearts, but I think this may be time to move on, you know, and I think you also look at players like Matt Slater, James White, Brandon Bolden, you know, some of these really key guys that have been a part of those teams, and I think the Patriots are, you know, in a, a team in terms, or a team that are kind of tr are trying to transition, I think, or should be at least. 
that I think you want some of your younger players to maybe step into a leadership spot, um, giving you the confidence that, okay, you know, we can let Matt Slater retire. You know, we can move on from McCordy Hightower. You know, I'm very curious to see, um, you know, what's next for some of those guys because, you know, clearly Hightower opted out last year. You know, I don't know if that really was purely a decision based on I'm trying to stay safe you know, I'm trying to stay safe for my family, or was that more of a inkling that he is thinking that he's going to retire? You know, I think that that's going to be very interesting. Um, but looking at the class of free agents, you know, it's a lot of key guys that have been key parts of your team for a very long time, or, you know, key parts of your team even this year. You know, J.C. Jackson, Trent Brown are kind of the two big guys that come to, come to mind. Uh, James White obviously will be a free agent. Um, some other guys on this list, Jamie Collins, uh, Juwan Bentley, Jacoby Myers, you know, those are kind of some key guys. Um, most of these players are unrestricted free agents, so I think, you know, there could be some interest on the open market for some of these guys, but, you know, it could just be that maybe the Patriots bring them back in a, in a, on a limited contract. Um, because if you look at the amount of money that you know, McCordy and Hightower made this season, you know, it's over 20 million combined. You know, I think if they come back, it's probably going to be a fraction of that. Like, I don't think it's going to be, you know, I don't think that McCordy's going to make 11 and a half million if he comes back next year. Um, so I think in terms of guys that I think it makes a lot of sense to bring back, you know, I think that obviously there'll be some tough decisions, but I think J.C. Jackson, I think, really needs to return. I think you need to get Trent Brown back because I think he was a big part of how successful your run game was. Uh, James White, I think you could bring him back on a small deal because I still think that, obviously, as a third-down pass catcher, the Bruins, Bruins, (laughs) the Patriots kind of missed him at times this season. You know, I think, to be perfectly honest, Bolden filled in pretty admirably in that spot, but I think Having someone like James White back would do a lot of good for Mac Jones. Um, I think Jamie Collins, I would be comfortable with letting him go. I didn't feel like he made much of an impact with the Patriots uh, this season. Juwan Bentley, I think, definitely needs to return. I think that he's one of those guys that could step in as kind of a high-tower replacement. Bentley led the team in tackles this year, had a really good season. So, you know, and then Myers... Myers absolutely needs to be re-signed. I mean, he's essentially your number one receiver at this point. So um, I think in terms of other needs, you know, I think wide receiver is a spot that I think the Patriots should look into. You know, I know Nikhil Harry had the trade request, you know, wasn't traded, I think played a big part in their run blocking in certain games. But I think the Patriots are kind of, you know, you know, I think you need more from that wide receiver spot. And I think the Patriots could very well go wide receiver in the first or second round um, of the draft, because I think, you know, looking at that offense, I think that you might be in need of another good kind of playmaker at wide receiver. I personally think they're set at running back, you know, considering how well Ramondre Stevenson did this year, this season, how well Damian Harris did that you got a really good one, two combination and, you know, if you bring James White back, that's a pretty good trio right there. So, you know, I don't think much would change at that 
running back position. I don't think much is going to change at the tight end position. You know, line might change with Ted Karras, Trent Brown uh, being free agents. You know, I'm curious to see how that, you know, if the Patriots do pay for Trent Brown, do they want to bring him back? Um, but I think wide receiver, you could see some could see some changes because Nikhil Harry is signed through next year, but clearly made a request to be traded. You know, I don't know if the Patriots do deal him this offseason, but, you know, if you do, you're left with Aguilar, Bourne, and Myers. And Bourne and Myers had very solid seasons this year. Um, you know, Aguilar, I think, left a little bit to be desired. Um, but I think at the wide receiver position in the draft, I think adding someone that can be a good route runner, someone that has good speed, um, and someone that you know the Patriots can rely on. Uh, Nikhil Harry, it's it's been hard for the Patriots to uh, rely on him as a wide receiver, you know, consistently. You know, I think clearly coming out of college, a lot of people were excited about him because of his, you know, ability to be like kind of a physical jump ball type receiver. But I think when you look at the Patriots' offense, they need someone who not only can maybe play like that, but someone who also has the ability to be a good route runner, someone that also has good speed. You know, I think that the Patriots want to look for someone who's a good combination of some of those things. Um, but I think, you know, as, as Andrew and I said, you know, I think that this season has had its successful moments. I think you have something good to, to build on, you know, obviously, this game this weekend was not was not a good game and it was a bad game and I think you know it's uh, something that Patriot fans are not not used to you know losing like that but I think you know you have to start resetting your expectations for this team and start realizing that okay there might be different ways that we measure success here rather than just winning Super Bowls that you know making the playoffs winning a playoff game might be something that you know, needs to be seen as as progress. This season certainly can be seen as progress. Winning 10 games with a rookie quarterback, I think that, you know, things will only get better for Mac Jones. You know, I think that surrounding him with maybe some more talent on that offensive side, I think makes a lot of sense. Now, I don't think the Patriots are going to spend big for a wide receiver. I think that, you know, looking in the draft is a better thing to do because you're going to get someone who's not going to be making a lot of money for a few years. Um, and I think, you know, as the draft gets closer, we'll talk more about what the Patriots look for, you know, and then free agency comes in two months. So, you know, it'll be very interesting to see what the Patriots do. But, you know, I think, again, it's been um, an interesting year for the Patriots. You know, I think that it's um, things that we expected, things that we didn't expect. You know, I think it's been a little bit of everything this season for them. But I think, again, this is not Tom Brady Patriots. This is not the, you know, team that expects to win Super Bowls and go to AFC championships every year. You know, I think that those expectations need to kind of change, you know, and need to be like, okay, we can still expect this team to be a playoff team. I still would expect that next year. Um, but I think that expectations need to kind of, be lowered a little bit and that's okay because the majority of NFL teams you know have expectations like that you know we're, we're so spoiled here that you know losing in the first round of the playoffs by 30 points you know is this horrible horrible thing when a lot of teams 
haven't made the playoffs in quite a while. So, you know, could be a lot worse. Um, so I think that probably, you know, is it for the Patriots for the foreseeable future. You know, obviously we'll be talking about, you know, any things that come up. Do Patriots assistants get hired? Do they get interviews? You know, I think Gerard Mayo's interviewing with the Raiders. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if anyone takes any jobs and if there are any changes there. So I think that will do it for the Patriots. We're not done with the NFL yet. We will circle back to the playoff games, but I think we're going to uh, talk some Celtics first. So uh, since we last were with you guys, the Celtics um, were coming off a big win against the Knicks after losing on a buzzer beater. And since that time, the Celtics have won four of five. They've won five out of six since that uh, debacle in New York. And the Celtics have honestly seemed to be playing a little bit better. You know, playing some good basketball, it seems like, for the first time this season. Um, this isn't to say that I, you know, believe in them suddenly as like a top five team in the East. That's not what I'm saying. But I think, you know, considering how much trouble this team has gone through at the beginning of the season, you know, through 40, 40 or so games, whatever it was, to have them winning some games is, you know, a nice change of pace. Um, you know, I think really what's working is the Celtics are getting back to the identity that they want to build as a very good, solid defensive team. Um, and I think that you have seen that in the majority of these games recently. You know, obviously the Celtics lost to the Sixers uh, Friday night last week and a game that they got behind early and never came back. Um that obviously wasn't good, but if you look at some of the games they've played, including yesterday, you know, they played some really good defense and I think are, you know, doing a good job challenging shooters, you know, challenging guys at the rim. You know, I think you're seeing Jason Tatum especially become more engaged on defense. You're seeing him blocking shots. You're seeing him take on guys in late game situations and, you know, preventing them from scoring. You know, if you look at how the Celtics finished that game against the Bulls the other night, you know, a couple of big steals, big stops, you know, good contests, especially on that last shot by uh, DeRozan that would have tied the game. Jason Tatum, you know, on him, wanted that matchup and did really well. So I think you may finally be seeing, you know, the team that I think a lot of us envisioned at the beginning of the season that, you know, they may have some trouble scoring. They may have games like that, but they're going to compete and they're going to play hard on defense. Um, and I think you've seen that for, for the most part recently, and I think that that's great. Because I think usually when a team plays well, it's because they're competing and they're playing hard. You know, you see guys competing with each other for playing time. You see guys, you know, playing hard, especially on the defensive side you know, coming up with steals, coming up with deflections. You know, players like Josh Richardson are playing really well. He's been given chances to play later in games, which I think is helping them a lot. Um, Dennis Schroeder, you know, it seems like he has turned a corner a little bit. His play, you know, that he has now become not just someone who's going to slow the offense and take too many shots. He's starting to get guys involved. He had eight assists yesterday. You know, I think that it's kind of wild how it works. He plays a lot better when he starts, you know, versus when he comes off the bench. And I think, you know, Marcus Smart has been out because of health and safety. So it's kind of been a positive that Schroeder has been able to start. Um, and I think another good thing 
is, you know, I mentioned being aggressive and playing hard defensively. The Celtics were playing really well in offense in the second half yesterday. Jason Tatum um, did not make a three-point shot, scored 27 points, just kept going to the basket and going to the basket. And I think that that was a really positive sign for him because I think, you know, as a lot of us see and watch this Celtics team a lot of times, you know, Jason settles for too many jump shots, you know, especially three-pointers. And I think, you know, he recognized that a shot wasn't falling yesterday and went to the basket and was aggressive. And I think that that's what you want to see from this team. You know, you want to see them go into the basket. You want to see them challenging shot blockers. You know, that's really kind of what frustrated me in that Philadelphia game um, is the Celtics did not challenge Joel Embiid really all night. And, you know, the only way that you're going to beat shot blockers is by attacking the basket. And I think, you know, it doesn't mean going up for layups every time and having them getting blocked, but I think going up with an aggressive mindset to lay it up and then pass it off to someone or, you know, drive and kick. And I think the Celtics started to do that, you know, going to the basket against uh, Valanchunas for the, for the Pelicans. You know, he's a good shot blocker. The Celtics kind of fell into that same trap in the first half yesterday, but then they started attacking, and I think it really made the difference in this game. And I know everyone's going to say, oh, you know, you played the Pelicans, the Pelicans suck. They're, you know, one of the worst teams in the league, and that's true. But I also think that there's something to be said for building good habits, especially against bad teams, because that means to me that you are engaged and you are, you know, engaged in the opponent and you're not worrying about, oh, if this team is bad, if this team is good, you know, that you're going to go out and you're going to play a hard, aggressive, competitive game, no matter who the opponent is. And I think, you know, with that win against the Bulls and that close game, gave the Celtics some confidence in the second half of the Pelicans game that, you know, okay, we fall down 18 points to a bad team, but we're just going to keep going. We're going to keep playing. Um, it's been very interesting to see, you know, the continued development uh, of someone like Grant Williams and, you know, the type of player that he is developing into, that he is now becoming a really solid three-point shooter. You know, he's becoming someone that can play some good, solid defense. You know, I think someone that's never going to be a superstar player in this league. You know, I think that he, there, there's a there's a place in the NBA for players like him. You know, you look at someone like P.J. Tucker, um, who's a shutdown defender um, and a guy who can make corner threes. And Grant Williams, I think, can develop into a player like that. And I think really give the Celtics an opportunity to you know, develop a young player that, you know, they've had some trouble with in the past. And I think clearly that is, you know, a valid point. The Celtics have had issues developing some young players, but I think some of the young players that they've brought in the last couple of years have developed pretty nicely. You know, you look at someone like Pate Pritchard, who came on really strong last year, and I think now is starting to get more consistent minutes and he's starting to, his play is starting to pick up a little bit. You know, Grant Williams playing really well. He's improved this season. You know, I honestly think that he's one of the most improved Celtics since he came to the team two years ago. You know, you got a guy like Robert Williams, who I think can develop into an elite big man. You know, I think someone that can be a lob threat on every single possession can be a guy that plays really hard and with energy on defense, you know. 
Romeo Langford, I think, has come into his own a little bit this season. You know, someone that can play good, solid defense, someone that can be aggressive and drive to the basket. You know, I think Aaron Neesmith, you saw what he could do with some playing time yesterday. You know, nonstop motor, nonstop energy. And I think one of the Celtics' issues this season, I think, has been when the three-point shot is not falling and they fall into a trap of just shooting the ball. Um, And I think, you know, as kind of a a microcosm of the team, Aaron Neesmith missed, I think, two or three of his threes last uh, yesterday, but continued to play with aggressiveness, continued to, you know, challenge shooters every opportunity he got, you know, the ability to play with energy and play with enough energy that your teammates notice it and that your teammates pick up on that and, you know, see that someone is going all out and they want to try to match that. Um, And I think, you know, he's a player that I think with more development and more playing time, he can develop into a really good basketball player. And so I think those are some young guys right there that I think have developed roles or are developing roles, you know, and can be very useful players for the next few years. So I think as much as, yes, the Celtics, you know, for sure could have drafted Desmond Bain, you know, at 14 instead of Aaron Neesmith two years ago. Could they have done that? Sure. You know, they missed on Carson Edwards. You know, I think we can all say that. They've missed on some other guys. But I think if you look at the young guys that they have on this team, you know, I think it's a good, solid, young nucleus of role players that I think can step in and can be really good basketball players for this team. Um, So I think, obviously, it's great for the Celtics, you know, 23 and 22, two games. They've won two games in a row. They've won five out of six. They play the Hornets tomorrow night at the Garden. Celtics, you know, as I mentioned last week, you know, do have a pretty good schedule upcoming, you know, that they're playing some teams that aren't so good. But again, you know, with this team and how much they've struggled this season, it's hard to take games for granted. And I think even though, sure, they're not playing great opponents, you know, I think there can be positives that can come out of that. So I'm hoping the Celtics can keep it going. They have home games um, against the Hornets, this week and against the Portland Trailblazers. Um, then they will travel uh, to Washington to play the Wizards on Sunday afternoon. So that's what's next on tap uh, for the Celtics. Rob Williams uh, missed yesterday's game because of the uh, birth of his child. So uh, congratulations to Rob. Uh, looking forward to see uh, the energy he plays with with the next game the Celtics play. Uh, Wednesday, 7.30, I believe. This is an ESPN game, so you can catch it there. Uh, Portland also at home, and then the Celtics will travel to the nation's capital uh, Sunday at 3.30 for their next game. So I think that makes I think it makes sense for us to uh, move to the NBA, talk a little bit about the association, uh, take a look at the standings, the Bulls and the Heat currently. The Heat have played really good basketball. Uh, they are both tied for first place in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the Nets are in third, and the Cavaliers are in fourth, uh, thanks to their win over the Nets uh, last night. The Cavs have won five straight and seven out of ten. Uh, the Nets are going to be without Kevin Durant for a period of time, uh, thanks to an injury to his foot, I believe. Um, then the Bucks are currently in fifth place, followed by the Sixers. 
in sixth, and then in the play-in uh, bracket, so to speak, the Hornets are in seventh, Wizards in eighth, followed by the Raptors and the Celtics. But it is interesting to note that the uh, Celtics in 10th place are only five and a half games out of first place in the conference, you know, which kind of speaks to kind of how volatile and kind of up and down this Eastern Conference has been. Um, so I think, you know, if the Celtics continue to play at this level, I don't think there's a reason to think that they could jump into that top six, you know, if they continue to play this well, which I think is a little bit of a big if, but I think you've seen some positive signs for this team um, recently. In the Western Conference, you have the uh, Suns still in first place in the West, a three-game lead over the Golden State Warriors. The Memphis Grizzlies have remained hot. They have currently won nine out of ten, and they're just four and a half games out of first place in the conference. Utah is fourth, Dallas fifth, Denver sixth. The Lakers are currently in seventh. There was an athletic report uh, this morning that the uh, Lakers – maybe on the verge of uh, firing Frank Vogel, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, but again, I don't know if that is a credible source, but I think, you know, it's uh, concerning how the Lakers have uh, really not played well at all this season. Um, so the Lakers are in seventh in that play-in spot, the Clippers eighth, Timberwolves ninth, and then the Trailblazers in tenth. So just some notes from around the NBA. Um, Kyrie Irving obviously is is back for the Nets. Um, CJ McCollum returned for the Trailblazers after he was out for a period. Um, so I think that's all we got for the NBA. There are two games tonight. Minnesota and Knicks will play at 7.30, and then Detroit will travel to Golden State at 10 o'clock. Uh, Clay Thompson is also back for Golden State, so that's um, a big... <laughs> A big development for them, you know, I think as they look to be a team that challenges for that Western Conference crown this season. Um, so I think next we will move on to the Bruins. You know, obviously this will be a little bit shorter than I usually do. You know, I think we'll just kind of go into some news things. Um, obviously the Bruins are uh, honoring Willie O'Ree tonight. Um, so that will be I'm very excited for that. You know, Willie, obviously the first uh, black hockey player in the history of the NHL. So the Bruins will honor him tonight. Really looking forward to that ceremony. Um, it will start at 7 o'clock prior to the Bruins game against the Hurricanes tonight. Um, the Bruins just continue to be continue to be hot. You know, eight wins in nine games with their overtime win over the West-leading Nashville Predators. That was a really impressive game. Bruins played really well in this game. I mean, clearly, you know, giving up some goals going to overtime was not ideal. But, you know, the Bruins are starting to get wins against some really quality opponents, which, you know, is kind of something that was an issue early on in the season. Um, but now if you look at some of the Bruins games recently, you know, we talked about the big win over Tampa Bay last week. Bruins followed it up with seven goals and a win in Washington. Um, last Monday, and then had two wins against some bad teams with Montreal and Philadelphia, but then the Bruins come back and, and beat a really good Nashville team. So I think that the team is turning a corner, clearly, and I think that it's good to see. You know, you're seeing not only your top guys, Marshan and Pasternak, 
and Taylor Hall specifically playing really well, but you're seeing a lot of guys lower in the lineup playing good hockey. And I think that that's always good to see. Craig Smith is scoring some goals. You know, you're getting some goals from the fourth line. You're getting some really good play from Nosek and Lazar and Oscar Steen. You know, I think that it's great to see that you're getting contributions from everywhere in the lineup. And I think defensively even, you're having some guys step up, you know, with guys being out, with Clifton and Forbert being out for a bit. Vakaninen has been able to step in and play some really good hockey. Um, I think he will continue to be in the lineup with Matt Grizzlick uh, now in COVID protocol. But I think this team is now working the way that you would have expected at the beginning of the season. But beginning of the season, you know, you had some moving parts. You had some some things going on. You know, now the goaltender situation has appeared to be figured out. Tuka Rask uh, returned in against Philadelphia, played pretty well. He will start tonight against the Hurricanes you know, another really good opponent that the Bruins are playing. So, you know, hopefully they continue to get that going. Uh, Brad Marchand named first star of the week for games played from the 10th to the 16th at 10 points in four games, including the hat trick in, um, hat trick against Montreal. David Pasternak followed that up with a hat trick against Philadelphia. Um, so that was great to see Brad Marchand, you know, unfortunately not named to the all-star team, which is, you know, beyond a lot of people, including myself, you know, no issue with Bergeron being named. You know, I think that it's great to see him getting recognized, but, you know, the all-star game is for the best players. All, all respect to Patrice Bergeron. Brad Marchand's been the best player by far on this team, majority of the season, you know, and now he's playing his best hockey and it just blows my mind that the NHL just can't get the all-star game correct, you know, and are forcing guys to miss out on the all-star game. You know, I know it's not a big deal. It really isn't, but it's like, you should recognize the best players. It's really not that hard. Um, Charlie McAvoy was named as a candidate for the last man in on the all-star ballots. I think that uh, we'll take a look at the all-star rosters in a moment, but you know, not to disrespect any of the guys that have been selected, but, you know, it's just like, as Nathan McKinnon said, you know, it shouldn't really be a participation trophy. You know, every team absolutely does not deserve an all-star. And I, you know, don't want to be negative like this, but it's like the Arizona Coyotes and the Montreal Canadiens absolutely do not deserve an all-star. Like, teams that are so bad, you know, unless you have an elite player that is having a great season, then that's an exception. But it's like teams like that should not be allowed to have a all-star representative. I just like it shouldn't work that way, you know. So that's just my opinion on it. I'm sure that, you know, Nick and I will touch on that later in the week. But uh, it just was something that was a little annoying. Um, so just some other more Bruins notes. I think that that was it. So I think, obviously, we'll talk uh, more Bruins later in the week. Bruins with uh, three games this week. Um, with uh, Carolina tonight, obviously, Bruins will host the Capitals on Thursday. And then the Bruins will also host Winnipeg on Saturday afternoon at 3. The Bruins closing a pretty, pretty long homestand of... Uh, six games in a row and 
uh, 8 out of 10. So, or 7 games in a row and uh, 9 out of 11. So, uh, still some home games to go this week with Carolina, Washington, and Winnipeg. Um, then the Bruins will play Anaheim on Monday next week. So some solid teams that are coming into TD Garden. So it'll be curious to see how the Bruins play against these teams. So that will probably do it for the Bruins. One last note, Carson Kuhlman uh, picked up by the Kraken yesterday on waivers. The Bruins had sent him down to Providence. Obviously did not clear waivers, so he gets claimed by Seattle. And I just wanted to say a couple nice things about Carson. You know, I think that coming in as an undrafted free agent, did a lot of solid things for the Bruins, you know, played in the Stanley Cup final, you know, I think did a lot of good things for this franchise and I think deserves a lot of credit for how much he grinded and how hard he played uh, when he was up with the Bruins. So um, really happy for him to get an opportunity. You know, I think it would have been great for him to stick around in the Bruins organization, um, but I think it's good for him to uh, get an opportunity elsewhere and, you know, really kind of be one of those examples where he made it happen himself. You know, he was not highly drafted, wasn't drafted at all, you know, and kept working. And I think that it's a type of thing that I think we all can, we, we all can respect someone that really kind of made it happen. You know, someone who truly is a self-made NHL player you know, someone that played at a high level in college hockey, but, you know, wasn't satisfied, you know, and then worked hard and got an opportunity. And I think he deserves credit. You know, I think at times maybe was not the best option the Bruins could have rolled out there, but I think he was always someone that played hard. You know, you never had an issue with him not playing his hardest. So I think happy for him to get the opportunity in Seattle. So be curious to see, you know, if he plays a little bit for Seattle and actually is interesting Seattle does come to the garden in two weeks so maybe he'll be in a Kraken uniform so I uh, just wanted to say some some things about him before we moved on um, some NHL notes the Flyers have lost eight in a row the Islanders beat them last night uh, the Seattle Kraken speaking of them uh, won in a shootout yesterday ending their nine game pointless streak or nine game losing streak I should say um <laughs> Carey Price is beginning knee rehab for the Canadians. Uh, Jack Eichel, according to the Vegas Golden Knights owner, uh, will play in a few weeks. So that'll be something interesting to watch. Uh, and Timo Meyer scoring five goals for the Sharks yesterday in their win over the Kings, the first player in Sharks history to score five in a game. So now talking about the All-Star game, we will take a look at the um, All-Star game rosters. All-Star game will take place on February 5th in Las Vegas. Very curious to see how that looks. Um, 18 first-time players in the All-Star game. So, you know, again, as much as I was annoyed with Marshawn not getting into the All-Star game, you know, I think a lot of these guys deserve credit for, you know, their All-Star appearances. So the NHL will return to uh, four teams. Each division gets a team play in a three-on-three tournament, so they will return to that format. So in the Metro, uh, six forwards, three defensemen, two goalies selected. Uh, the two goalies, Tristan Jari from Pittsburgh and Frederick Anderson from Carolina, both of them getting in for the second time. On defense, Zach Wierenski from Columbus, Adam Pellick from the Islanders, and Adam Fox from the Rangers. Pellick and Fox getting to the All-Star game for the first time in their career. 
um, Alex Ovechkin selected for the eighth time, Chris Kreider getting his second second appearance, uh, Jack Hughes as well. Um, so this is the Metropolitan. I don't know if I said that earlier. Um, so Ovechkin, Kreider, Jack Hughes getting in for the first time, uh, Claude Giroux, his seventh appearance, and then Sebastian Ajo for Carolina, his second appearance. And now in the Atlantic, Drake Batherson from Ottawa getting in for the first time. Uh, Bergeron, obviously, as, you, as we mentioned, that's his third appearance. Uh, Jonathan Huberto from Florida. Dylan Larkin from Detroit. Second time for each of them. Um, Austin Matthews getting selected for the fourth time. Uh, Matthews and Ovechkin selected as captains for their respective divisions. Nick Suzuki from Montreal. Rasmus Dahlin from Buffalo. First time for both of them. Uh, first time for Jack Campbell from Toronto, the goaltender. His first appearance, Victor Hedman from Tampa Bay getting in. Andre Vasilevsky also from Tampa Bay getting in for the fourth time. So in the Central Division, a lot of first-timers on this list. Uh, Cam Talbot and UC Saros, the goalies, both getting in for the first time in their career. Uh, Kale McCarr from Colorado, his first appearance. Um, and then... Actually, I think it doesn't. Okay, I didn't realize this. I thought it was all. It was necessarily, or I I assumed it was six forwards, three defensemen. But I think it actually is either six forwards and three defensemen, or um, just eight, just nine skaters in general. That is kind of interesting to me. I didn't realize that. Um, and then, so forwards for the central. Um, Joe Pavelski, Nathan McKinnon, the fourth time they've gotten in. McKinnon is the captain. Uh, Jordan Kyrou from St. Louis. Kaprizov from Minnesota. Debrinkit from Chicago. And Kyle Connor from Winnipeg all getting in for the first time. Uh, Clayton Keller for Arizona picked for his second All-Star game. In the Pacific, Connor McDavid, the captain, selected for his fifth All-Star game. Uh, the goalies here with... Vancouver, Thatcher Demko getting in the first time he's gotten in. John Gibson from Anaheim. And then Alex Petrangelo, the lone defenseman, both Gibson and Petrangelo in for the third time. Timo Meyer, as we just mentioned, with five goals yesterday. Mark Stone, Adrian Kempe, the uh, three first-time All-Stars in terms of the forward group. And then McDavid, obviously, as we mentioned. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl get in. Jordan Everly from Seattle. And then uh, Johnny Gaudreau from Calgary, and then you have the last men in candidates, which uh, for each division have um, I think a couple extra players that could be selected. Um, so it seems like there are four players or Seems like there are candidates from each team for last man in. So in the Atlantic Division, Charlie McAvoy is the Bruins selection, which is wild to me that Marchand's not even that selection. But uh, McAvoy is the Bruins selection for the Sabres. Tage Thompson for Detroit. Lucas Raymond. Um, Barkov for Florida. Tyler Toffoli for Montreal. Brady Kachuk for Ottawa. Steven Stamkos for Tampa. And then John Tavares for Toronto. That's for the Atlantic and the Metro. Andrei Svechnikov for Carolina, uh, Jakob Voracek for Columbus, Jesper Bradford for the Devils, 
Matt Barzell for the Islanders, Mika Zibanejad for the Rangers, Cam Atkinson from Philadelphia, Jake Gensel from Pittsburgh, Evgeny Kuznetsov from Washington, and then in the Central, Phil Kessel for Arizona, Seth Jones for Chicago, Nazem Kadri for uh, Colorado. It's in, unbelievable that he wasn't selected on the roster on the Central Division's roster as he's top five in the NHL in points. Uh, Jason Robertson from Dallas, Ryan Hartman from Minnesota, Roman Yossi from Nashville. I don't know how he didn't make on make it on the roster. Uh, Robert Thomas from St. Louis, Mark Shifley from Winnipeg, and then finally in the Pacific, Troy Terry from Anaheim, Matt Kachuk from Calgary, Darnell Nurse from Edmonton, Drew Doughty from L.A., Logan Couture from San Jose, Mark Giordano from Seattle, J.T. Miller from Vancouver, and Jonathan Marchso from the Vegas Golden Knights. So, yeah, I just listed off a ton of players. You can look at the rosters again on NHL.com. You can look at the official rosters, and then the last man in each team will get, obviously, one extra player added to the team. So, obviously, for more uh, Bruins stuff, I'll be talking with Nick Peranek for on Guest Friday, so um, we'll get more more Bruins uh, talk then. So I think we will move on. We'll move on to the uh, non-local teams. We'll go into the NFL playoffs first, and then we will jump around to some college sports. So obviously, super wildcard weekend kicked off on Saturday with the Raiders and Bengals playing on Saturday afternoon. The Bengals winning a playoff game for the first time in over 30 years. So uh, congratulations to them. They beat the Raiders 26-19. to uh, Joe Burrow had a pretty solid game um, in his return as he did not play the final game of the regular season, but the Bengals won 26-19. Really the story from this game, unfortunately, uh, was the um, errant whistle that happened in the first half with uh, Cincinnati already ahead and Joe Burrow, you know, goes to the sideline, you know, doesn't touch out of bounds. You know, he was close to it, but clearly did not step out of bounds. There then is a whistle in the middle of the play, and the ball's caught for a touchdown. And Oakland, yes, they have, or up to Oakland, Vegas, they have a serious gripe because what is supposed to happen is, you know, I'm sure if you watched the game and heard uh, Terry McCauley, the officiating, um, like, analyst on NBC, you know, that he said that the play is not supposed to happen, that, you know, once there's a whistle blown, the play has to stop, it can't be reviewed, and you have to replay the the down. Obviously, that did not happen. The touchdown was allowed to stand. Um, I just have to say the officiating in this game in particular was very bad. You know, it was probably the worst officiated game of the weekend. I know a lot of people would say the Dallas game because they had a lot of penalties, but uh, this was really bad. So I think both teams, you know, have a legitimate gripe about the officiating. So uh, Bengals win the game, but I think, unfortunately, there was a bigger story about the officiating, which just sucks because it's like the story about football games should be the play on the field, not the officials. And it just is really frustrating that, you know, that is that is what the story of the game was. So uh, Bengals win, though. So good win for them, their first playoff win. In 30 years, so they moved on to the divisional round. Obviously, we talked about the Patriots-Bills game. 
uh, Josh Allen, the first quarterback in Buffalo history with five touchdowns without interception in a playoff game. On Sunday, the Buccaneers beat the Eagles 31-15. to The game was uh, not as close as the score suggested. Uh, the Eagles just really struggled to get anything going offensively in this game. Um, you know, I think for their future, I think that they're in good hands with Jalen Hurts. You know, I think that their offense will be okay. Um, you know, I think that, you know, it's it's hard playing in your first playoff game. You know, I think that it's a lot more difficult than people realize. Um, but I think that they're on the right track with the quarterback. But, you know, the defense really was no match for, for Brady in the offense. You know, I think it took Brady a little bit of time to kind of get it going. But Buccaneers win 31-15. to 15. The Cowboys and the 49ers obviously played down to the wire. Uh, Dallas started really poorly, could not catch up. Um, San Francisco able to hang on for the win, you know, despite the Cowboys deciding to run their quarterback into the middle of the field with no timeouts and 14 seconds left. Dallas couldn't get a playoff, and that's how it ended. There's nothing else to say. No, the referees did not screw the Cowboys. Like, you have to know that, you know, if you're going to slide down in the middle of the field, you have to get the ball to the official and let them spot the ball. And the Cowboys didn't do that and lost the game. And I think, you know, people are going to point to that as why they lost. It's like, no, they lost because their offense couldn't do anything in the first half. And, you know, it just was too little too late for their offense. So 49ers win, but lost uh, Nick Bosa and Fred Fred Warner from this game unsure about their status for um, their game in Green Bay this weekend or this upcoming weekend. And then the Sunday night game, the Chiefs dominating the Steelers 42-21. to Travis Kelsey, the first player in NFL history with a passing touchdown, a receiving touchdown, and 100-plus receiving yards in a playoff game. So Chiefs dominate Ben Roethlisberger's final game as a Steeler, and the Steelers went out with a whimper. You know, which is, you know, credit to them for making the playoffs. But I secretly wanted a tie between uh, Vegas and the Chargers because I think either one of those teams would have put up a better fight against the Chiefs in this game. But Steelers, there was only so much that they could do. Uh, 14 points on offense is not going to beat Kansas City. So uh, Chiefs win this easily. And then the game last night, the Monday night game, Matt Stafford winning his first career postseason game, the Rams destroying the Cardinals. 34 to 11 in a game that was uh, much, much like the Patriots game. It was not close at all. So I gotta be honest that uh, Super Wild Card Weekend was a little bit disappointing. Didn't really see any spectacularly great games. Really hope that that changes. Um, but I think the Cardinals, much like the Patriots, uh, just didn't come ready to play defensively, um, and the Rams made it look easy. Um, I think that, you know, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals really have to shake the label of a team that, you know, just falls apart late in the season because it's two years in a row that they've done that. And I think that that really needs to change if they're going to kind of get going as a franchise. So um, Rams win, big win for Stafford. Um, Good to get it off his shoulders. So I think now we will look ahead to the divisional round, do quick little – previews i guess you could say um on saturday we have two games the Bengals traveling to the titans 
Titans obviously getting the first round by Bengals winning their first playoff game. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this game turns out. You know, Derrick Henry may be available for the Titans. You know, they may be fully healthy on offense. Um, but obviously, we've seen Joe Burrow and how good he's been, um, you know, in the first playoff game at the end of the regular season. I really think the Bengals could win this game. I legitimately think they can win this game. You know, I think if the Bengals put the game in the hands of Ryan Tannehill, you know, which is hard to do when Derrick Henry is also a part of that offense, but they can put the ball in Tannehill's hands and they make it a quarterback duel, I think the Bengals win this game. I don't think that that's going to happen. You know, I just think the Bengals' defense is going to have a hard time with Derrick Henry, and I think the Titans, really, they can run him to victory in this game, which is why I think the Bengals' defense is the biggest the X factor in this game. If the Bengals can stop the run and do it at somewhat of a consistent level, I think they can win because I think Joe Burrow can make enough plays against that defense. Titans' defense has greatly improved from last season, but I think sometimes you get a really hot quarterback, you know, anything can happen. So I think the Titans will win this game, but I think the Bengals can absolutely make this close. And I think if the game is put in Ryan Tannehill's hands, I don't know if I trust him in a playoff game of this magnitude. So I'm going to be interested to see what shakes out in this game. I do like the Titans to win, but I think it's going to be a pretty good game. The 49ers and the Packers will play Saturday night. Green Bay obviously has been, I think, undoubtedly the best team in the league from start to finish. And I think that doesn't change against the 49ers. I think that is the only way that I think you can get to the, the Packers is with a good pass rush. And I think if Nick Bosa is not going to be able to go and Fred Warner can't, Fred Warner can't go, I don't really see a scenario in which the 49ers can win. Um, although their offense is really hard to, to play against, you know, with the different things that they can do with Debo Samuel and, you know, Brandon Ayuk, Elijah Mitchell, some of the weapons they have on offense. But I think Green Bay's defense is, is healthier than it was at any point in the season. So I think they might be able to make this a relatively easy game. But I think... You know, with Aaron Rodgers, you sometimes don't know in the playoffs, but I think, especially if Bosa and Warner can't play in this game, I don't really see a scenario in which the 49ers can win, um, you know, unless Jimmy Garoppolo plays really, really well. I mean, he did play well against against Dallas, but, you know, almost kind of gave the game away with that interception late in the game that let Dallas back into the game. So you can't do that against Green Bay because they're not going <laughs> to they're not going to be making mistakes like Dallas did. So I like Green Bay to win. I think that this will be at least a 10-point game. Then on Sunday, we really get into the good games. I think these two games on Sunday have the potential to be the two best games of the season. Um, the Rams and the Buccaneers. Rams will travel to Tampa Sunday, 3 o'clock, and I think the Rams can win. Um, based on how the Buccaneers looked, um, early in that game. You know, it just seemed like it took a bit for Brady to get going. And I think this is a team, unlike the Eagles, that can wreck a game plan for you offensively. When you've looked at Tom Brady and you've looked at some of the games that he's lost in his playoff career, the common denominator is almost always a defense 
that gets in his face and gets him on the ground and makes it difficult. And I think Tampa Bay is very shorthanded in terms of what they have on offense. Obviously still have Rob Gronkowski, obviously still have Mike Evans, which, you know, that's an elite combo on pretty much every other team. But I think without Godwin, without Antonio Brown, maybe without Fournette and Ronald Jones, I think that they could beat Philadelphia. I don't know if they can beat the Rams. Um, based on how well that defensive front played last night against Arizona, you know, one of the highest powered offenses in the league. I really think the Rams are going to win this game. I think that obviously um, Matt Stafford, I think, has shook the label of the quarterback that can't win a playoff game because he played excellent football. I think the Rams played really good offensive football. They were able to run the ball effectively. Cam Akers somehow coming back within a year of tearing his Achilles was great last night. You know, I think if, if the, if the Rams can avoid turnovers, if they can avoid mistakes, they should be able to win this game. Um, and it's hard to pick against Tom Brady. It really is, but you have a defensive line led by Aaron Donald that I think is going to make things very difficult uh, for Tampa Bay to be able to, you know, make, make enough plays in the passing game. Um, Tristan Wirfs hurt himself in the Bucks game against the Eagles. It's unclear about whether he's going to go, but, you know, you had better guarantee that the Rams are going to focus in on that position if he can't go and are going to make that a priority that, you know, this is a weakness on their offensive line. And their offensive line, Tampa Bay's, has been excellent this season. They've really not had any, any health issues, but you put Aaron Donald in that defensive line you know, with him and Von Miller and what they can do, you know, it's going to be a problem for them. Um, so honestly, I do like the Rams on the road. I think that they can pull the upset. But a lot of it's going to depend on whether they can run the ball effectively, which I think is easier said than done, although Tampa Bay's had trouble stopping the run uh, toward the end of the season. So I think this is going to be interesting, but I like the Rams. Then the Bills and the Chiefs and... <laughs> That's going to be a great game Sunday night in Kansas City at 6.30. Uh, you know, and this is something I didn't say um, in the Patriots game, but I will say that as much as people, you know, made us think about the Patriots defense, and rightfully so, you give up 47 points, you have every right to be, you know, burned on, on social media. You absolutely do. You have every right, you know, the Patriots don't get any credit for giving up 47 points. But I will say, with Buffalo playing the way they did on offense, that's why people think that they're a Super Bowl contender, because their offense can do that and can make good defenses look absolutely silly. And I think going up against the Kansas City defense that has had its issues in the secondary for years, I mean, if Josh Allen plays like he did in, in Buffalo, there's, I don't think there's a way that they can lose this game in Kansas City. I know that that's a really bold statement because it's hard to beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, but you have a good enough quarterback that can match him. Buffalo can absolutely win this game. Um, but again, that's asking a lot because as we've seen with Josh Allen, he has backed up some of his best games this season with really poor performances. And I think it's hard for me to take him seriously because you see you know, the great game he had against the Patriots week 16, you know, was unbelievable. He actually may have been better in that game than he was in the playoff game, which is, I know it's crazy to say, but 
I thought he was actually better in the in that game in Foxborough. Um, but then he follows up that game with two really bad performances against Atlanta and the Jets. Um, so I'm a little concerned about him in this game, but I think they can play the way they did against the Patriots. Uh, I don't think that there is a defense in the NFL that can stop them. So I do like the Bills on the road. I like the road teams in, in these games on Sunday. So I think um, you're going to see the number one seeds advance but I think you're going to see the two road teams on Sunday get the win um, and make things very, very interesting um, in the playoffs. So that's how I see it playing out. I think that um, hopefully, or I think that you're going to see much better games uh, this weekend than you saw this past weekend. Um, so I think that that probably does it for the NFL. We're going to finish talking a little bit about the Georgia-Alabama game. I know that, you know, now a week removed from the game, it feels like it happened, you know, months ago. But uh, definitely credit to Georgia for winning the game against Alabama. It was a defensive slugfest for the first half plus. Um, but Georgia able to come alive with some touchdowns or some big plays, I should say, in the fourth quarter. Um, and then the pick six that um, was one of the most entertaining moments I've ever seen in a sporting event. You know, the pick six by, uh, I think it was Ringo. Um, and then returning it all the way was uh, quite a moment for Georgia. So uh, congratulations to the Bulldogs. Uh, Stetson Bennett played really well in this game, had two touchdowns, did not, uh, only had one turnover. Georgia intercepted Bryce Young twice. Um, they really were not able to run the ball with any success, and that, I think, really was the difference in this game. Uh, Georgia was able to run the ball a lot more effectively Um and Alabama's offense just couldn't really get anything going in terms of the running game. So I think that was kind of the difference. So congrats to Georgia winning the championship for the first time in 40 years, I think, or over 40 years. So Georgia beats Alabama. You can be sure that both of these teams are going to be really good next year. So, uh, hey, maybe we'll see them again. And then uh, I think to close out the show today, I think we're going to do some uh, – College basketball will take a look at the top 25 that just got released yesterday in terms of some of the teams that fall that fell the furthest. Take no look, take no further look at USC, which was a top five team coming into coming into last week, and they dropped 11 spots to 16. UCLA dropping out of the top three from three to nine, and then Baylor dropping from the number one down to number five, thanks to a couple losses for them. And then some teams that rose a lot. Um, UConn jumped into the top 25. Illinois jumped up from 25 to 17. Kentucky jumped up to 12th. And then the Auburn Tigers jumping into the number two spot. Gonzaga jumping into the number one. So the top five at the moment Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, Purdue, and Baylor. And then the other teams that received votes in the top 25, Iowa 56, BYU 50, Davidson 34, Alabama 26, San Diego State 25. So I think things are starting to get really interesting with college basketball um, as we're seeing some volatility kind of at the top uh, with some top teams losing. In terms of some games tonight, fifth-ranked Baylor plays at West Virginia. Seventh-ranked Kansas plays at Oklahoma. 
Butler plays a 25th ranked UConn. And then 6th ranked Duke will travel to Florida State. Always a tough place to play for them. So I think that that will do it for us this week. For me at least. We will be back. We'll be back with you guys um, on Friday. Conversation with uh, Nick Peranek about the Bruins. Really looking forward to that conversation. So um, I hope you all enjoy that as well. So as always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. <laughs> Give us a like. You know, subscribe if you want. Follow on Spotify, whatever you want to do. Um, so, you know, yeah, you can also follow the uh, Twitter, Facebook page if you would like to give updates on that, on those pages as much as we can. Um, and I think, you know, definitely pay attention to, uh, the Twitter page or pay attention to both pages because I'll be you know, obviously making announcements on when we confirm our guests uh, for Guest Friday. So make sure you are on the lookout for that. So everyone have a uh, good rest of your week and we'll be with you on Friday.